Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. This is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. It's news and research week, and I have some good news that I want to share with you and some research, some kind of fun research that I'll share with you as well. Um, Before I do that, I wanted to remind you of a couple of quick things. First thing, don't forget that on February 21st at 6 o'clock, at Beyond Chiropractic in Marietta, Georgia. Trek Travel is sending a representative to meet with us uh, here in Marietta uh, to talk about all the various offerings that Trek Travel has. Uh, My wife, the travel agent, the owner of Blue Pineapple Travel, um, is hosting them here in Marietta, uh, and they're going to be broadcasting it on Facebook Live. Uh, Don't forget, of course, that that, um, you can tune into that, and they will be talking about all the various places you can take cycling vacations, and they'll be offering a special discount to anybody who uh, books a trip with Trek Travel through Blue Pineapple Travel. So uh, that's something you want to keep an eye out for. February 21st at 6 o'clock, that's a Thursday, a Wednesday, a Thursday, I believe, um, uh, uh, at 6 o'clock here in Marietta. And again, it's going to be on Facebook Live, so you can, you can tune in through that as well. Uh, so be sure to check that out. Um, you can find out more information about that on their website, bluepineappletravel.com. Um, a new announcement uh, on Sunday, February 24th, uh, so a few days later, um, at 9 o'clock in the morning, I am actually going to be taking part in a roundtable discussion um, and sort of a general meeting of the minds uh, along with a few other people. Um, Dr. Kate Edwards from One on One Physical Therapy is going to be there. Uh, Carl Levers, who's a coach, a running coach here in Atlanta, Georgia, known as Coach Carl. Um, and Dr. Jonathan Kim, who's a sports cardiologist from uh, Emory. Um, all of us are going to be coming together and talking a little bit about um, uh, the athlete's heart and how to not get overtrained and the role that physical therapy can play in the lives of endurance athletes and all that sort of thing. Um, that's also going to be on Facebook Live, as a matter of fact, and so you'll be able to watch that even if you're not able to attend. Uh, and there's going to be more details coming on that over the course of the next week or so. So I'll be sure to let you know on next week's podcast, um, but, but keep an eye on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed for that too. So more details to come there. Uh, the final thing I did want to mention here is a last call for folks who want to be part of the, our new segment this year. Um, last call, like I said, um, I've mentioned a few times already, and I'll quit badgering everybody about it, but um, you'll recall that I said that this year in 2019, one thing that we're going to do that we haven't done before is we're going to interview people who are doing races, races that they're targeting, that they're specifically trying to do, um, and, and that they're specifically training for, um, and we're going to talk to them about their expectations for the race, what they're looking for in the race, how they've trained for the race, all that sort of thing prior to the race. Uh, And then we'll talk to them after the race um, and see how it went and whether it lived up to expectations and whether they met their goal and what they learned from it and all that sort of thing. Um, and we'll combine those into a single podcast. Um, we have somebody's going to talk to us about the Boston Marathon. Somebody else is going to talk to us about the Boston to Big Sur, which is when you run the Boston Marathon and the Big Sur Marathon, which are usually a week or two apart um, in April. Um, you run them both successively. Uh, we have somebody doing the Berlin Marathon for us. We have somebody doing Ironman Kona for us, the Ironman World Championship in Kona. Uh, somebody doing Ironman Chattanooga, and somebody doing the Cruel Jewel 50, the uh, very difficult trail race here in the southeast so um, looking forward to all those but if you want to be a part of that um, we would uh, we would love that and so reach out to us george at itlcoaching.com patrick at itlcoaching.com pleasantpodcast at gmail.com and let us know what you're up to and and whether you're willing to share some of those details with us both before and after your target events here 
So winter, as you probably know, is kind of slow inside the endurance sporting community. I mean, there are some races out there. There are some stuff going on. Uh, there's some 70.3s in Dubai and in South Africa. The Tour Down Under is, is, is underway. And so, uh, you know, pro cycling season, which is now stretching from the very beginning of the year, pretty much to the very end of the year, is going on uh, already. Houston Marathon was in January. The Austin Marathon is in February. The Mercedes Marathon in Birmingham was today, as a matter of fact. Uh, and ITL had a Boston qualifier there. Uh, um, the uh, Miami Marathon was at the end of last month, um, but um, not a whole lot of really big events taking place here. Um, indoor track season is is in the winter as well, as many of you probably know. And indoor track is kind of an interesting sport. Um, it's sort of a warm up for outdoor outdoor track, um, and and. Um, in some ways, it can be a little bit frustrating for people who are really kind of track purists. Um, for myself, for example, I, I, I never loved indoor track because from one week to the next, you never knew exactly what the indoor track was going to be. Um, one week, you would literally run on a flat 200-meter rubberized track. The following week, you would run on a 160-meter banked board track, which is kind of like running on a ping-pong table. Um, the week after that, you would run on a flat 320-meter rubberized track once again. And so there's not the sort of standardization that you have in outdoor track where every track is 400 meters, four laps to the mile, um, and, uh, and rubberized and flat, of course. Um, and so, so generally speaking, because it's a warm-up and, and um, uh, most people are kind of rounding into the season, because the biggest meets of the year usually aren't until uh, the summer, um, most people kind of are, are using it to knock the rust off and all that sort of thing. But there are indoor championships, and of course there's indoor world records. Um, indoor races tend to be slower races. Um, uh, there are some shorter, faster, more explosive races, like the 60 is, is run indoors, and, and it's actually not run outdoors. Um, but, um, but they also run the mile indoors, which is something that they don't do outdoors. And if you're a fan of track and field and you follow indoor track, you might have seen that, that yesterday there was a pretty incredible mile took place um, in New York City at the Milrose Games. Um, the Milrose Games are some of the, the most famous uh, events in track and field, and in indoor track and field. It's probably the most famous um, indoor track meet, at least in the United States. Uh, and the mile there is called the Wanamaker Mile. Um, and the Wanamaker Mile is competed every year, and it's always considered to be a very prestigious mile and a very competitive mile. Um, well, Wanamaker Mile was just yesterday, as a matter of fact, and there was an Ethiopian runner named Yomif Kajelcha. Um, and Yomif Kajelcha ran 348.46 for the mile indoor. And that missed the world record by one one-hundredth of a second. One one-hundredth of a second. If you actually were to convert that to a distance, that would be less than three inches. Less than three inches, he missed out on the world record. World record's a pretty old one, actually. It goes all the way back to 1997 by a brilliant runner from Morocco named Hisham El Garouche. Um, Hisham El Garouche also holds the outdoor uh, record in both the mile and in the 1500, as a matter of fact. Um, to give you a, kind of another idea, if you blink your eyes... Uh, blinking your eyes takes about 30 to 40 one hundredths of a second. So blinking your eyes takes about 30 times as long as the amount of time that Yomif Kajelkcha missed the world record by in the mile yesterday. Um, 
Needless to say, pretty wrenching for him. He's a Nike Oregon Project runner, by the way. Um, he had a, a, a training partner, Clayton Murphy, who ended up finishing third in the race. Um, he trains with the Nike Oregon Project out there uh, in, in Beaverton, Oregon. Um, after the race, he said, I came very close to it, and I know I'm going to try it again, and I think I can break it, uh, unquote. And so he uh, he is going to be trying it again here, but um, one one-hundredth of a second. Um, I, I can't imagine... Uh, the feeling you must have to miss that. Um, for what it's worth, and not that I'm going to, to criticize here from, from literally from my armchair, um, he had a rabbit. Um, he had somebody that was a pace setter, and the pace setter did not do a fantastic job. Uh, the pace setter went out a little bit fast and a little bit erratically, um, and Kajelcha, like he's supposed to, actually stuck with the pace setter um, and uh, ended up kind of falling off the pace and, and had some pretty positive splits, uh, slowed down a lot over the back half of the race when he was by himself. And so um, with a little bit better pacing, a little bit better pace setting perhaps, I think that Yomif Kajelchuk will probably, in fact, break the uh, the world record there. Um, but uh, kudos to him for a brilliant race, and 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 hopefully he will be able to put this uh, heartbreak of missing the world record by one one hundred second behind him, and uh, and move on and, and bounce back strong. I'm sure he will. Another quick piece of news for you that you might have seen. Um, we've talked at great length. We had an entire podcast episode about the Vaporfly four percent. Um, the Nike shoe that uh, purports to include or to improve your efficiency by four percent, um, and thereby lower your race times by about one point five percent over the marathon distance. Um, and the Vaporfly got a lot of attention, as you'll recall, because it has a carbon plate in it, um, and that drives up the price a lot. But um, but that carbon plate being inside it is kind of captured a lot of people's imagination. Um, and we wandered, we wondered aloud on this uh, podcast before who was going to be the first shoe company to respond. And the first shoe company now to bring a carbon-plated shoe to market outside of Nike is Hoka One One. Um, and the Hoka One One Carbon Rocket is now out. Um, and you can buy it in stores and uh, you can buy it online. Um, it weighs 7.7 ounces for a men's size 9. They're unisex, by the way. And so um, so it's the size of men's 9, which I guess is like a women's 8 or something like that. 7.7 ounces, so it weighs about an ounce more than the the, the Vaporfly 4%. It's got a plate in it. Um, you, it actually has cutouts on the bottom of the shoe, so you can actually see the plate, um, uh, which I don't think the cutouts really do anything for you. I think it's kind of like the way that, that Nike will sometimes have clear air bubbles, and you can see the air padding there, and it's sort of a marketing thing. Um, it costs $160, so it's obviously um, a lot cheaper than the 250 or $260 for the Vaporfly 4%. Um, not sure. Um, not sure whether it's going to stand up. I've read a couple of reviews of it. Only a few people have it now. It's only in the hands of a few folks. Um, the folks who have worn it said that it's very responsive, which is, is a positive thing. And as I've said before, it's kind of a, a code word for being sort of hard um, that, that you might say. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily have that same cushy Vaporfly feel that you, 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 you would experience by wearing a Vaporfly 4%, that sort of squishy feel uh, that Patrick and I talked about a great deal when we did our Vaporfly 4% episode last, uh, last year. Um, but people have said that it feels as if the carbon plate is giving you some sort of push. 
So, so not sure. Um, you know, for me, when we talked about it before, we talked about how nobody knows exactly the way the Vaporfly 4% works. Um, and, and we said that, that there was at least one researcher who says that it's actually more the foam than the plate. Um, or at the very least, it's the interaction of the foam and the plate together. This doesn't have the foam. Uh, the Hoka One One carbon rocket, it has a carbon plate, but it doesn't have that, that special, I think they call it epic react foam that the Vaporfly 4% has in it. And so you kind of wonder, um, is Hoka One One actually creating a really solid shoe that can go fast and can, can compete with the Vaporfly 4% and will, will in fact improve your efficiency and thereby your times the same way the Vaporfly 4% does? Or they just put in a carbon plate in their shoes because they want to be part of the carbon plate arms race. I'm not sure. Cam Levins, who we talked about from Canada last uh, last year, um, when he broke the Canadian national marathon record, these were the shoes he was wearing. He was wearing a prototype pair. Um, and so you certainly can run fast in them. Um, it's the fastest that any Canadian has ever run for any marathon. So... Um, so we'll see. Um, we'll see. I, I, I look forward to reading a few more reviews, and then I'll have to decide whether I want to try some out this fall. Um, Skechers has been very high profile, very high profilely debuting or previewing or testing out a lot of, uh, of their shoes. Um, they have a shoe, I think it's called the Hyper Elite or something like that, um, that also has a carbon plate in it. Um, and uh, I'm kind of interested in that as well. So we'll keep you posted on like. The, the carbon plate shoe uh, arms race here. Um, one other quick piece of news I'll mention to you here that, that many of you, if you're on Facebook, you probably have seen. Uh, it was a story that was shared in a lot of places, um, and that was the man versus mountain lion encounter that took place uh, last Monday in Colorado. Um, it was reported by several different news outlets. If you actually uh, Google man versus mountain lion running, um, you'll get multiple articles from just about every news outlet, um, everywhere from NPR to CNN to Fox News to to, um, to, to any news outlet you can find, I'll, I'll report on it. There's even an article in the New York Times about it. But um, the first, the news was really kind of first broken by a, a newspaper called the Coloradan. Um, and according to the Coloradan, uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife uh, Service confirmed that a male cougar, now a male cougar is also known as a mountain lion or a puma or a catamount, but a male cougar weighing at least 80 pounds attacked a man and managed to inflict bite wounds to his face and wrists before the tables turned and the man managed to suffocate the cougar with his bare hands. The runner sustained what they called, quote, serious but non-life-threatening injuries, unquote, in the incident. Um, and wildlife officials took the corpse of the cougar uh, to do an autopsy. Um, the Larimer, Co Larimer County Department of Natural Resources, which is actually where it occurred there in Colorado, uh, said that the trails at the Horsetooth Mountain Open Space, which is where the runner was running when he was attacked by the cougar, mountain lion, puma, catamount, whatever you want to call it, uh, they closed them on Tuesday, the day after it, um, due to the ranger's detection of, quote, more mountain lion activity in the area, unquote, than usual. Um, and they were going to reassess the situation this past Friday, but I'm not sure whether they decided to go ahead and open it up or not. I'm wondering why there was actually more mountain lion activity in the area the day after this attack. I wonder if like the mountain lions got together and were like planning their revenge. I don't know. But one way or another, they decided to, to shut it down there. Um, now, let's be clear. 
Mountain lions have only caused three confirmed deaths in the state of Colorado since 1990, and there's uh, less than 12 of them in North America over the course of the past 100 years, and so it's not like this is an epidemic here. Um, but obviously this one got a whole lot of attention because of the way that the runner was able to turn the tide here. Um, now, if in fact you are concerned about this. If you are somebody who goes and runs on trails like I do, if you're confronted by a cougar, um, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website advises people to talk calmly and firmly to the cougar, to the mountain lion, to the catamount, to the puma, while backing away slowly and to avoid running, which I think is interesting. Um, you should attempt to appear larger by like raising up your arms or expanding your jacket or something like that if possible. And if the cougar slash mountain lion slash catamount slash puma appears to be behaving aggressively, they further advise you to try and dissuade the cougar by throwing objects at it without crouching down or turning your back, and to fight back with any available weapons, tools, or other objects in the event of an attack. Um, the Northeast Region Manager Mark Leslie said in a statement, uh, the Northeast Region Manager of the Colorado Parks and Wildlife said, quote, the runner did everything he could do to save his life. In the event of a lion attack, you need to do anything in your power to fight back, just as this gentleman did, unquote. So kudos to the unnamed uh, uh, guy, unnamed runner who was attacked by the mountain lion uh, in Larimer County, Colorado, um, at the uh, Horsetooth Mountain Open Space this past Monday. So we're glad you're still with us, buddy. Um, all right. Um, wanted to share one quick piece of new, uh, research with you here this week, um, and that has to do with tongues. And some of you actually might have seen this when, when it hit the news wires about a month or so ago. Um, now, you may know that studies, lots of different studies, have shown the long-term risk of glaucoma to your eyes um, is inversely proportional to your weekly running mileage and your best 10K time. In other words, the more that you run and the faster that you can run a 10K, the less likely you are to develop glaucoma. Good to know, right? I don't think that's going to inspire anybody necessarily to go out and run more or to try and improve their 10K time or anything, but it's good to know. If you're running and you're working hard and you're lowering your 10K times, good news, you're less likely to develop glaucoma over time. Um, there's other studies that have found similar relationships between running and brain cancer, sepsis mortality, and gallbladder disease. In other words, the more you run and the better you are at running and the harder you work, the less likely you are to get brain cancer, sepsis mortality, and gallbladder disease. Um, even more studies show that running preserves joints and it can even stave off macular degeneration. So there's all these things that, that running can do for you. And we've talked about that at great length over the course of uh, this podcast over the course of the past three years since we started it. Um, in 2016, in the International Journal of Speech and Language Pathology, there was a, a study that was done that was published called Tongue Strength and Endurance. And I, yes, I am saying tongue as in that thing that I am using inside my mouth to help me speak right now. Tongue Strength and Endurance comparison in active and non-active young and older adults. Um, and they found in that study that if you have good tongue strength, it helps you ward off sleep apnea and dysphagia. Dysphagia is difficulty swallowing, which is something that can strike people later on in life. More importantly, they found that people who are active 
have stronger tongues, both in terms of the maximum strength, which can lead to more powerful swallowing, and endurance, which keeps your airways open at night. It keeps you from mouth breathing, which means that you can avoid sleep apnea. Um, if you don't have good tongue endurance, your airways can get clogged at night. You'll open your mouth to breathe a little bit more, and that can cause sleep apnea, uh, thereby disrupting your restful sleep, which can cause all sorts of problems can't believe that Patrick's not here to talk about sleep. Anyway, um, he is looming over us. Um, so anyway, in that study, they found, though, that when they looked at active people versus non-active people, like I said, those people had stronger tongues, which meant that they had less dysphagia, which means they had less difficulty swallowing, um, and they had greater endurance uh, in their tongues, which meant that less sleep apnea. Uh, and the effect there, the difference between active and non-active people was particularly true for folks in their 60s and older. Um, so in other words, as you get a older, as you age, your tongue actually gets weaker. Um, which is, you know, add that to a list of terrible things that happens to you when you age. And so therefore you're, you're more at risk for dysphagia and sleep apnea. But if you exercise, you can ward off that, that tongue weakening that happens naturally. Um, and it's not just tongue exercise. It's, you know, just being an active person here. Um, and so anyway, the, the recent article that came out um, was a follow-up. And the follow-up was called A Comparative Study. Tongue Muscle Performance in Weightlifters and Runners. Uh, it was in a journal called Physiological Reports, um, and it was by a couple of researchers from Wichita State who um, also helped do that original one. Uh, one researcher from Vanderbilt and one from the University of Nebraska at Omaha. So what they did in this study is they took 21 weightlifters and they took 23 runners. Um, and each of the people in each of those groups engaged in their preferred activity at least four times a week. So. 21 people who lifted weights at least four times a week and 23 people who ran at least four times a week. And what they found was that runners had better tongue endurance and weightlifters had better maximal tongue strength. Now remember, importantly, both the runners and the weightlifters by virtue of being active have better tongue endurance and better tongue strength than non-active people. So don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that one is necessarily better than the other. But what they did is they hypothesized that, that when they found this, that, that runners had better endurance in their tongues and weightlifters had better maximal strength uh, in their tongues, they hypothesized that, that the way that endurance runners have to sort of rhythmically breathe as they're running over the course of time, it not only helps you to develop endurance in your legs and your hips and your glutes and even your shoulders and all that sort of thing, but it also helps you to uh, develop endurance in your tongue. Um, and that endurance in your tongue can in turn keep your airways open while you're sleeping and reduce your likelihood for sleep apnea. Um, likewise, the weightlifters in contrast, they predominantly use the front of their tongue to produce forceful inhales and exhales, they would say. Um, and that would result in greater maximal strength at the front of the tongue, which is what you need in order to be able to swallow powerfully. Um, and so if you want to be a more powerful swallower, you don't have to necessarily exercise your tongue, but by exercising generally, you will be forcefully exhaling and inhaling, and that could in turn result in greater maximal strength at the front of your tongue, which will ward off dysphagia, i.e. difficulty swallowing. So is there a whole lot that you can necessarily do with this study? Besides, of course, impress your friends at parties? Probably not. Um, but 
Um, when you think about all the various things that, that being active uh, can do for you, this is certainly something you can add to the list. And so we've talked about all the varying things that, that all the varying reasons, the health benefits that you get from, from, uh, from running, from weightlifting, from being active, from cycling, from swimming, etc. Add a good strong tongue, which will ward off sleep apnea and dysphagia to the list. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And that'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. Once again, you can reach out to me, George, at george at itlcoaching.com. You can reach out to Patrick, patrick at itlcoaching.com. You can send us an email at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. You can find ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com, at itlcoaching on Twitter, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance. Finally, of course, Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, bluepineappletravel.com, and on Instagram, instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. On behalf of Patrick Ollander, this is George Darden. We'll see you next time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.